Hello, everybody, once again, and welcome to the North American Soccer Show. The sporadic nature of our podcast coming out here recently looks like it's going to be continuing today. This is going to be episode 14. It's been a little while since we last spoke. Uh, For everybody who's dealt with us trying to figure out what the exact right schedule for everybody involved is going to be, we very much appreciate it. And hopefully, as I say, every, not even every week anymore, just every time we get the chance to talk to you guys for this North American stuff, I I always say I I hope next week we'll find some consistency. We know it's probably not going to happen. I'm your host, Dylan Baker, and joining me today is Chris Smith. Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you, Dylan. And Brady Reed. Brady, it's been it's been a long time. How are you, man? I'm doing really well, man. It's been been way too long, as you said. Well, as we're unable to contain our excitement talking about the MLS playoffs as it comes around, uh, coupled with the fact that we've got a lot of stuff that we need to talk about today, we're going to jump straight in. So the first game that I want to talk about, there is a play-in series in the Eastern Conference as they have 14 teams compared to the Western Conference's 12. So there is a play-in series. Nashville, SC are going to be playing Inter-Miami this upcoming Friday on the 20th. Uh, And on the same day earlier, um, New England are going to be playing Montreal Impact. Chris, I'm going to start with you to talk to me a little bit about the Nashville-Inter-Miami game. You and I have spent a lot of time these last couple of weeks, the last couple of times that the North American Soccer Show has actually released an episode, have been highly focused on these two teams. So I feel like we've got a we've got a really good perspective about who the teams are and what they're about and and, and kind of how this game is going to go. So, you know, considering that we, we hadn't really we hadn't really talked about or considered a matchup between the two, here they are in the play in series. Uh, how do you think this game is going to look from from both angles as well as um, you know, who do you think's gonna? Who do you think's actually gonna make their way to progress? I mean, these are the two. These are the two expansion teams here. Yeah, it's it's gonna be really interesting seeing them both paired together. Um, I think there's still two teams that are very much still searching for their true identities and, and what they're really gonna be in MLS. Uh, I think they've both built some solid foundations. Um, it's time to show what they can do under pressure now in a, in a playoff game. And um, I don't think it'll surprise anyone to. For me to say, I think it's going to be very much a case of Nashville's defence, which has, has been the best ever from a, an expansion team, going up against basically a bunch of individual match winners in the likes of Higuain, Rodolfo Pizarro, etc. For for Inter Miami, it's, uh, it's going to be a case of is Higuain going to be on it? Uh, is Pizarro going to be on it? Maybe maybe you'll see someone like Lewis Morgan or Blaise Matuidi make a big difference. Uh, they're, they're the guys that you're really looking for. Diego Alonso is going to be really hoping and praying to turn up on the night. And on the flip side, Gary Smith set up a fantastic defence there. I mean, obviously, Walker Zimmerman's just one defender of the year. And if, if they turn up like they have been doing throughout the season and, and keeping solid, then it's hard to see Miami really doing enough damage to knock them out in a, in a one-off game. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially whenever you're looking at it from the expansion, the expansion nature of the the teams that are involved here, you've got, you especially in the Inter-Miami team, you've got, like you said, you've got match winners. Uh, you know, you've got the Higuain brothers, you've got uh, Rodolfo Pizarro, you've got Blaise Matuidi, you've got guys who know how to progress and know how to win trophies. Um, and in that Nashville side, all they've shown all season is, that, is their resoluteness uh, in terms of structure and in terms of defense. So it is. It is really going to be interesting to see, you know, kind of the kind of the the, the tale of two tactical styles, the tale of two cities, so to speak. Um, but between the way that they operate, 
And ultimately, it may be, at least in these early stages, one of the most interesting matchups that that we're going to get the chance to witness simply because oftentimes you don't see expansion teams making the playoffs. And when you do, you don't see you don't see, you know, two of them paired up against each other. So I am really excited about this one uh, for for expediency's sake. We're going to go ahead and move on to the New England and Montreal game. Uh, Brady. We spent a lot of time talking about Canadian teams this season, you know, whenever we actually are recording regularly. Um, and New England New England has has kind of for the most part been underwhelming to me. They've not really done or shown anything that's that really moves beyond the realm of average. And and because of that, here they are in in the playoff series. Whereas Montreal, they've had They've had a lot of ups and they've had a lot of really deep downs this season. Uh, and, and again, like I said, we've we've spent we spent a lot of time talking about Thierry Henry trying to find the style and 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 trying to tinker with formation and, and and tactical setups and and these sorts of things basically the entire season. How do you see this one playing out? Do you think Thierry Henry keeps on tinkering? Is, is this is this New England's time to shine as far as rising out of that mediocrity that has been the 2020 season? Uh, where do you see this one going? I think mediocrity or, or bang average is such a such a fitting way to describe New England. I mean, you look at the table, they've essentially got the same amount of wins, losses, and draws, and they've got a plus one goal differential. So they're they're just doing the bare minimum, and I think that's that's kind of shown. But with that said, we've seen the way that they played against Toronto FC in the MLS's back tournament, and it was it was a very boring nil-nil game. But hey, I'm not sure how many boring nil-nil-nil games. Montreal have been involved in this year and when we're talking about knockout football it's not such a bad approach to the game and the problem for Montreal and Thierry Henry might be who's actually available particularly in that midfield I know Sam Piet is obviously a, an engine for them in, in that deep lying role and he actually got sent off in decision day so he's going to be unavailable and now there's questions over whether Victor Vanyama is going to be available he, he elected to, to play for Kenya during the international break and the league is doing everything in their power to get some of those guys back and available, but ultimately I'm not sure that that's going to be an option. And if Henri is without Wanyama and Piet, I just don't see how they're going to win that midfield battle. And New England's a much stingier side than Montreal, and they're also they're also getting healthy at the right time. Carlos Gill just played his first 90 in, in a couple of months uh, on decision day against Philadelphia. And so I, I'm going to give a slight edge to New England here. As you said, we're kind of splitting hairs here. These are two teams that are... There's probably a little to separate them, but ultimately when they played down in Orlando, New England got the, uh, the slight decision, and I don't think it'll be much different this time around. I can see your point with that. I, I don't. I think I see Montreal Montreal leading themselves into a down as more likely than New England kind of rising rising out of mediocrity uh, in in this particular match. Again, you you just you can't really trust Montreal to 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 attain any kind of semblance of consistency right now. And and you know especially whenever you're talking about knockout soccer and whenever you're talking about playoffs and and these sorts of things, you, you just you, you don't see this as the time where they're going to figure it out and and have a system that they're going to play for five games on the road to the final um for those of you who don't know how the play-in series works especially in in this in this playoff kind of series basically the way that this is going to work is uh, Nashville in the Eastern Conference ended the season in as the seventh seed. Um, New England ended in eighth position. Montreal Impact in ninth, and Inter Miami in tenth, just barely squeaking into the playoffs. And the 
they they have Toronto FC and Philadelphia Union pending, waiting for the winners. And the highest seeded team is going to play Toronto FC, and the lower seeded team is going to be playing Philadelphia Union. Now, I know we didn't necessarily pick a team to win the Nashville Inter Miami game, and I, I think Brady and I are going to be in agreement here that New England Revolution are going to get that slight edge. So, Chris, I'm going to switch back to you briefly. Talk to me about who you think is actually going to pull out as a winner in this Nashville Inter game, and if you can't, talk to me about the difference differences between um you know inter are guaranteed if they win to play philadelphia and nashville are guaranteed if they win to play toronto so talk to me about the differences between those two matchups brady i'll come to you specifically about the toronto match as well afterwards and 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 let me know let me know what you think about those those prospective matchups well first off don't mls know how to make things confusing (laughs) um that is our job as americans don't you know these things (laughs) I, I I can't personally see past anything other than a Nashville win against uh, against Miami, which obviously pits them against Nashville. And then I think it looks like we're all in agreement that New England will be playing Philadelphia Union. I was browsing through Twitter before, and uh, I'm seeing that it looks like John DeCadiz is going to be fit for, for Nashville, which we were talking about ma- match winners for Miami before. It looks like long-term he could very much be a match winner for Nashville and uh I think that'll be the difference, that coupled with Walker Zimmerman just, just single-handedly leading that defense. And Brady, if we're going to operate with those assumptions about the play-in series, talk to me about your opinions about the about these two matches. How do you think that they're going to play out kind of stylistically? Um, who do you think is going to come out winners? I mean, uh, Toronto and Philadelphia have been forces of nature this season. Philadelphia a little bit more than Toronto, but but both of them have been really high quality, and they, they've they've... They've put out a really good product on the pitch once again this season. So uh, talk to me about those matchups and, and where you see them going. Yeah, this is a conversation uh, I've had a ton with TFC supporters and, and, and fellow people covering the team. And obviously Montreal, you know, from an emotional standpoint, is is obviously a, always a fun matchup for Toronto FC. And, you know, the 401 Derby and we've seen some crazy games in the playoffs between these two. But as we said, I really don't see a scenario where they beat new England. Ideally I'm wrong and we get to enjoy a four, three, but I, I think new England is probably the worst of the options for Toronto FC, just from a, a stylistic kind of standpoint. I think when you've got a Bruce arena team, that's, that's kind of unpredictable. And the way that they lined up against Philadelphia on decision day with, I mean, arguably five forwards. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure Toronto's back line could handle that kind of pace and dynamism. I'm not sure that that's the approach to go with either in a playoff game, but it is Bruce arena. So all options are on the table and Nashville have been so stingy down the stretch. I think their, their back line has been so impressive. Walker Zimmerman, kind of the key figure there, rightfully so, MLS Defender of the Year. And I've also been really impressed with Isaiah Johnson, the young right back from from Canada. And I think he's kind of working his way into that in that Canadian men's national team circle. And suddenly they got a lot of depth at right back. So I've watched a lot of Nashville down the stretch. I think when you've got a team that's as stingy as they are, like much like Philadelphia, they're going to be tough to break down. And so I, I think stylistically, again, the Revolution might be the worst matchup for TFC, but uh, Nashville will be no slouch either. And, and and the unfamiliarity too. This is an expansion team that they haven't seen before, and so uh, obviously th- making a, a kind of a scouting approach to the game is that much more difficult. 
Well, and you have to look at it too. You know, Toronto, Toronto have done well. When you look at the Eastern Conference and you look at goals forced and goals allowed, Toronto have done well enough in terms of goals allowed. Uh, they they, ha- they don't necessarily have a, as you said to describe Nashville, they don't necessarily have a stingy defense per se. But, um, you know, one of the big struggles that they've had this year has been has been putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, you know, the, the, the two teams that we're talking about here who are awaiting the results of the playoff series, um, one one of them has a 24, a positive 24 goal difference in Philadelphia, and the other has a positive seven in Toronto. So you would think that the 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 stoutness of Nashville's defense and their organization could very, very well cause Toronto problems. And, and like Chris said as well, you know, when you have a couple of those forward match winners that don't necessarily show up every single time that there's a game, but when they when they do, they're they're able to nab that one goal and eke out a, a one nil or a two one kind of, you know, sometimes it seems like by accident. But, you know, again, when you reference their defense, it it very much is on purpose. That's just the way that they go about their business. That could be a very, very boring game from a neutrals perspective. But for for either one of those sides, it could be very exciting. Just trying to just trying to see who's going to actually come out um, on the other end as the as the winner and moving on into the conference semifinals. Um, But we are going to go ahead and plug what right along here. We've got several other games that we do need to cover. The first one that I want to talk about is Orlando City uh, versus NYCFC. Uh, Chris, I'll come to you first. You, you and I have talked quite a bit about NYCFC, and of course, you know your your Atlanta United supportership has got you. Unfortunately, uh, one eye turned to Orlando City on on most occasions. So, uh, talk to me a little bit about this matchup. Orlando City and NYFC both have been. A little underwhelming, considering what we've seen from them in the in in recent histories. Orlando City has definitely risen up the perch more so than what we would ex- have expected them to, but it just seems like on a game by game basis, everything isn't always clicking, and that's part of the reason why they weren't higher up the table in this Eastern Conference. Whereas NYCFC has taken a has taken a, not a nosedive, but they've definitely dropped in terms of quality this season. So, how do you see this one playing out? I mean, it's a it's a it's a kind of an oddball matchup between two oddball teams. Yeah, I think on on the quiet, I actually think it's a matchup between two teams that could potentially go all the way to uh, to the final. Um, Orlando, I'd say more than NYCFC. I think that there's no getting away from, from the fact that Oscar Pereira has done a, an absolutely fantastic job at Orlando this season. You know, he's got him into the playoffs for the first time. He, he's got him looking like a, a genuine contender now. Um, the main thing that's punctuated the sort of the running for them at the end of the season is they've they've been winning all of the sort of what you'd say in air quotes the bigger games, and then losing a number of stupid games and, and games where they're expected to win. Mm. Um, that might play against them against NYCFC because I'd put them down as the favourites. You know, NYCFC are a great side, and on the day they, they can beat anyone. They've, they've got probably the best right back in the league, and Anton Tinnehoe offers a lot going forward. Tata Castellanos, while he's not a prolific goal scorer, he's more than capable of, of hurting teams on a game by game basis, and that that unpredictability that we're talking about. But you look at Orlando, and I mean. <laughs> Chris Mueller's had a, a, an incredible season and he, he's really sort of stepped his career up in, into, a, into a new gear. But the one I think we're all talking about is Daryl DK. He's, he's just been immense, like leading the line, bullying defenders, make, like using his pace, getting off the last man, he's finishing. He just seems he seems like he's got the whole package. And I think, I think in a one-off playoff match, I think he could be a defining factor. And then if they do get past NYCFC and 
you know, we'll assume that Philadelphia win their their first game as well. Playing as the underdog, I do actually quite fancy Orlando to upset a few like that. Well, and I think the one thing that you do have to say about Orlando this season and, and, and what Pere has has done at the helm is that you referenced the stupid games. Yeah, you know, one of the first things that one of the first things that jumps out at me and looking at Orlando City's results is that they don't they don't lose. They just they just throw away wins. Uh, you know, they're, they're, as it stands going into this playoff series, they've got 11 wins, eight draws and four losses. They're, they're, they're tied with Philadelphia union at the top for the amount of losses. So a couple of these silly draws turned around, uh, and all of a sudden you, you know, you've got Orlando city moving from first to come from fourth to compete for first position in this. So, uh, you know, I, you do make a good point about them being on the up and up and Perea having them, having them in the right gear. They just seem to, to lose lose the plot sometimes I think whenever it comes to finishing off games and and that's led them to to fall down the table a little bit yeah I mean you, you look through through the results from the running like say you know they're going away to Sporting KC who, who finished top of the West and they're winning 2-1 you know they're, they're drawing away at Red Bulls drawing with NYCFC beating Red Bulls at home unfortunately showing Atlanta how it's done 4-1 uh, beating Columbus even even with a man sent off and then they go and lose against Nashville they go and lose against Lose against Miami, they go and draw away at a, a poor Atlanta side, and it's it's those stupid results that yeah they they may you, you could say that have cost them, but I think when they're playing as the underdog, I think that's when Orlando really comes to the fore. Yeah, I think exactly. Just going back to what you said there, Dylan, about uh, Orlando, and and you look at their record, and a little bit of it might be an experience where they've lost some points, and I think conversely that's been a little bit the story of Toronto FC season where. At, at times, they they frankly haven't been very impressive, but because this is a group of guys that have been playing together now for a half decade for the most part, they've, they've just grinded out results, and, and I think their goal differential reflects that. It's it's not been that pretty, and yet they're second in the table, and I think this is this is really year one for Orlando in, in, a, in a new chapter. They're obviously in the playoffs for the first time, and I, I think they've made a lot of growth, but like you said, this is this is early days of, of an exciting project, and, and as Chris said, DK's one of the most exciting names probably alongside Mueller in that growth and in that matchup with NYCFC. I think this is one of the tighter ones in the East for me. I'm certainly excited from a neutral perspective to, to take it in. And I, I agree with Chris. This is, this is MLS. The league's known for parody and I, I wouldn't be shocked to see either of these teams make a deep run. Well, and on to the next match. I think one, I think in a, in a very different fashion, I, the, the, the last match of the Eastern Conference playoff series, uh, involves Columbus Crew and New York Red Bulls. And, and again, very differently, uh, here's a, Here's a team in Columbus Crew that we've talked about over the course of this season. We saw it from the very beginning in the MLS's back tournament. They, it's not that they don't have the ability to capitulate. It's just that they have they have so much firepower. And and if there's if there's any way to describe the New York Red Bulls this season, it's it's that they have they've had kind of a roller coaster season in much the same way that Montreal Impact has, Brady, uh, in the sense that they they can be high, but sometimes they can be they can be like four and five and six goals sorts of low. Uh, and that's part of the reason why they, they've had such a mediocre season. I mean, when you look at the, the way that the playoff series works, they squeaked in as well on the final day. They almost were a part of the play-in series had it not been for a couple of Nashville results that ended the way that they did. So this is not a side that is very indicative of a full-blown 
playoff team in much the same way that you know NYCFC is who's who, who's fifth in the table as opposed to their sixth place position so I honestly can't see I can't see any other result other than a Columbus crew win and again you know Brady I know you spoke to to parody in, in in the last match but I do think that the golf and quality here might overtake that focus on parody yeah I don't think that's too unfair the thing that kind of stands out to me here though is the, just the form of these two teams. I mean, we think think about the the way that we were talking about this Columbus Crew team back in the MLS's back tournament and and in the early stages of of round two of the sort of weird regular season that we had. And they honestly felt like a like a team that was destined for Supporters Shield. It was without question. And yeah, they had their injuries, but so have a lot of the other teams in, in the league. And that they've just they've really kind of trickled off towards the end of the regular season and historically that's not necessarily a great sign but again this this gap this international break and this kind of gap between fixtures will probably do them wonders but I'm, I'll be honest I, in the in the latter sorry the early stages of the season I, I really didn't have a lot to say positive or negative about the rebels but then as of late I feel like they've they've been a little bit better obviously Caden Clark and the story with him is made them a much more attractive team to watch. But I agree with you. I still think Columbus is a slight favorite in this one. But again, this is this this Eastern Conference particularly for me, I just I wouldn't be shocked to see the Rebels at least make this, uh, you know, a nail biter. I do think you make a fair point in terms of the 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 sort of upset friendly nature that is the Eastern Conference. I mean, you you, you look at the Western Conference and everything seems a, a little bit more clear cut. And I know that there'll still be some discussion from us on the matches that remain, but uh, the Eastern Conference definitely has has a a certain sort of messiness to it. And it, when you do look at these two teams in terms of form, you do have a point in terms of the end of season and, and what sorts of form that these two teams have have ended the regular season on. But you know. Again, I, I have to I, I have to stand firm with you here as far as the as far as the the, the crew's firepower and their organization. You know the the Darlington Nagby uh, controlling the middle of the park. Uh, I just think it's going to be it's going to be too much for the for the Red Bulls to handle. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just leafing through through a few stats then as well, just to sort of back up what I'd observed observed myself, and it it looks like a very typical sort of a Red Bulls outfit where. Okay, they're not pressing as much as they have been in the past, but they are among the top teams in the Eastern Conference when it comes to defensive pressures. And then you look at Columbus Crew and how they've transitioned into a really good sort of possession unit, as you say, with with Dallas and Nagby running it in midfield there. And it's going to be, a, in terms of in the Eastern Conference at least, it's going to be one of the most interesting stylistic clashes. You know, you've got a, a team that likes to chase high up the pitch against one that likes to play out from the back. And I think if, if Red Bull's press works, then... They could get some joy, but personally, with, like I say, with Darlington and Nagby in that midfield, probably the most press-resistant midfielder in MLS, I don't think it will. And one thing I've noticed about the, the crew is as the end of the season's come closer and closer, their key players have started hitting a bit more form again. You know, Lucas Zellerian putting a great performance against Atlanta. Jassi Zardes is still getting in amongst the goals. And Pedro Santos is always a threat as well. And those key players are coming into form at the right time. And I think if, if Columbus can work through that press, then I think they're going to do some serious damage to a, a Red Bulls team, which is defensively poor at the moment and is, is pretty much, well, yeah, they, they are the worst defence in, in the top eight in the East. So like I say it's going to be an interesting stylistic clash, but I think I'm, I'm with you where I, I think Columbus get through. 
Well, and, and, and it's especially in terms of the press, not only not only is Darlington Nagby, as you said, one of the most press-resistant midfielders in in the MLS, if not the most. But when you look at that that front four that they operate with, I mean, it, when you want to talk about fluidity in the MLS, and when you want to talk about the ability to to understand where where, where the, those attackers are going to be at any given point in time, and, the, and and their movement on and off the ball. It just seems like that's designed to beat the press, um, you know, kind of from a from an overarching standpoint. So at, at the end of the day, yeah, I think I think we almost have to go with Columbus here. Yeah, well, I think I mean the, the thing is as well, like even, even with Red Bulls being the away team, they could set into a block, but even then, I don't think the likes of Tim Parker and Aaron Long have, have really shown that they can concentrate for a full ninety minutes, where they can keep plays of. of Lucas Celerian's quality out for the full 90 minutes or say not let Jossie Zardes get off the shoulder of the defender and get in. So even if it turns out to be a different game where Columbus are dominating the ball right on the edge of the Red Bulls box, I just don't think they've got that defensive organisation to stop that Columbus attack. Mm, that's a that's a fair shout as well. Well, we do need to move on to the Western Conference because we do have four more games to cover. Uh, the first of which being Sporting KC in San Jose. Now, I'm pretty sure I've said this on one or two other podcasts that we've recorded that somehow we have spent very little time talking about Sporting KC over the course of this podcast. And and yet here they are at, at the top of the table at the end of the season. Uh, and they are playing against the San Jose side who, you know, again, you can say you can say that they squeaked in. I mean, especially whenever you look at a at a goal difference of negative sixteen. But also when you when you look at what's around them. I mean, Vancouver's got a goal difference of negative seventeen and is three is three points behind. LA Galaxy have a goal difference of negative nineteen and are eight points behind. I mean, there's the Western Conference is much more clear cut. I think in terms of who the playoff teams are, and I think. You know, based on even the just the discussion of this game, I think it's a lot more clear cut in terms of uh, of of outcomes. I mean, Sporting KC have been the epitome of consistency over the course of the season. So much so that there's not really been very much exciting to talk about them. We've not really had any any real reason other than they keep for the most part, winning games um, you know, to, to bring them up on this podcast over the course of the season. And San Jose have been bad enough that we also haven't had any reason to come up and, and, and talk to them about or talk about them. So the Brady, I'm going to start with you on this one just for fun. Cause I, I don't know if we really have a whole heck of a lot to say about this particular matchup. Is there, is there much more to discuss other than Kansas city come out on the other end of this as, as moving on to the, the conference semifinals? Yeah. I, like I said, I I'll be the guy to chime in for, for parody and MLS, but I don't think this match is one, honestly. I mean, we talked about teams having a roller coaster season. San Jose, you know, at the beginning of the year, were being praised for their man marking tactics and that sort of thing. And then uh, they had a nine game stretch in August and September where they failed to pick up a win and they were losing six and seven one to, you know, Seattle and LAFC. And the, things really kind of fell apart there for them. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think for some reason we we kind of like uh, gave, had a lack of love for for Sporting KC, considering how strong they've actually been throughout the season. And I and I hate it too because it's like when when you look at the game, whenever you look at their season, they've had a solid season. It's just not been it's not been exciting. It's been successful, but it's not been very exciting. And that and you listen, that might be our my personal Eastern bias a little bit. I find this a lot with some of the teams, be it be it Portland or, or Sporting KC, where they're just so damn consistent that you're not surprised by it. So it's just it just be kind of you know, it kind of becomes the norm. But yeah, I mean their options, some of the guys, Johnny Russell and Polito and these guys, they they've got plenty of dynamism. And I think 
for for San Jose, they're they're a terrible matchup. I think I think they're going to cruise to victory here. And I mean, this is more of a tr- this is easier to understand playoff format, like Chris said, MLS and especially in the Eastern Conference, it's a bit of a headache to kind of figure out what's going on. But this is one versus eight, like we're used to in an NBA or NHL format. And I think one is a is a clear favorite here. Well, I mean, the first thing you've got to look at is, is San Jose's defense. 51 goals conceded in 23 games. That is just horrendous. It's the, it's the worst in MLS, yet they've, they've scraped into the playoffs. Um, I know James, our, our supreme overlord at WFI, is a big fan of of how they experiment with the man market and then their interest in tactical styles. But uh, it can go so wrong and it has done on a number of occasions. And if ever it's going to go wrong, it's going to be in a playoff game against the Western Conference champions, well, the Western Conference leaders even. The the main problem for SKC that I'm seeing is the same problem that quite a few of the teams are having for these early games is who is actually going to be available. Um, is Polito going to be back? Uh, the likes of Gary Kinder, is he going to be back? Is it going to be left to Johnny Russell on his own to sort of lead the line because of international duty and, and injuries? That That's the main thing that I can see derailing SKC. But, I mean, sort of following up on, on what on what you both said there, I think even if, if SKC go in with a half-baked attack, I still think they've got enough to take advantage of that defence. Yeah, and worst-case scenario, you're talking about less of a big win than what you would normally expect in this kind of matchup. So at the end of the day, whether it's whether it's 1-0 or 5-0, both of which are viable options, I, I, I do think that 99 times out of 100, Sporting KC walk away with this one, parody, parody considered and all. However, the next match that we do have to talk about does have some fun controversy that we've not really talked about on this particular podcast. Uh, you, you do have a matchup again on Sunday for the Western Conference playoffs uh, of Minnesota United and Colorado. Now, we've we've talked about Minnesota this year, Chris, and they're, they are a good team. They've definitely improved from past seasons. There's no two ways about that, but their opponents... <sighs> It, it just, it, this is an oddball season. I don't necessarily have an issue from the outset and a theoretical perspective in terms of points per game being how you make it into the playoffs. But then you have to go into that thinking, well, the one thing that can make this system kind of look silly is if, is if there's a club or several clubs who have to play a significant number less games and just so happen to do well enough to hit the point points per game ratio required to make it into playoffs and i mean colorado is is, it ends up being that example in the one season we have to operate with this 18 games as opposed to you know the 21 to 24 played by everybody else in the mls uh you you know you're you're looking at this table and they have less points total because they've played less games uh than any of the other playoff teams and that's including san jose who have had a uh, who have had a torrid season uh and yet here they stand you know in fifth position playing against minnesota in fourth uh talk to me a little bit about this game and also you know if you feel like you may need to go on a little bit of a rant about this points per game system feel free well, I think I'll start with points per game. Uh, get that out of the way. I, I need to get something off my chest here, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, I've sat here debating this so many times, and obviously the, the two two sides of the coin that you're way up are. And I, I, I'm not going to get into have, how Colorado have or haven't behaved because from everything that I've seen, the, the players were given a bit of a rough ride at the start, and we weren't there to, to see what's gone on. So who are we to judge? But. 
like you say, for a team that's played 18 games and, and waltzes into the playoffs with a relatively favourable tie as well to boot, um, is that fair on the rest of the teams in that conference? Absolutely not. At the same time, can you really punish Colorado and their players and perhaps more importantly their supporters for what is effectively, to, to use the term, an act of God? Um, you know, the, the, this the, the, this year has been completely out of everyone's sort of everyone's control and I don't think personally it's it's right to punish them for, for something that as I say it's come out of nowhere and no one saw it coming I mean I'll, I'll toss that to, to you and Brady again to sort of hang me for, for, for saying for basically defending Colorado but that that's where I'm at with it the way and I, I will bring Brady into this but d- despite my sort of assumptive attacking nature in terms of asking that question. The one thing you, the one thing you do have to say whenever you look at Colorado is they're eight, they're eight, four and six, eight wins, four draws, six losses. That's not an awful 18 games. It's not great, but it's not an awful 18 games. And if you look at the points totals in terms of how they operate without it, uh, if we were going by simple, you know, points accumulation, then they would simply move from fifth to eighth because Vancouver has nine wins, zero draws, and 14 losses, as we said before, with a negative 17 goal difference. So on 27 points, uh, Vancouver would still be one point behind off of that slot. And the one sort of defense that I think I have of it is that under normal circumstances, if this were if this were a more traditional season, they may still have squeaked in. But also, you know, you are looking at an LA Galaxy who has performed awfully. You've got a Houston Dynamo team that has performed awfully this season. Um, you know, Real Salt Lake are typically much more in that conversation. So, you know, a, a couple of things go differently for some of these playoff regulars, and and Colorado are, are are out of it. So, you know, again, it is the nature of the season. Is it is the nature of the beast that we deal with in terms of the pandemic and 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 the 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 sort of repercussions that come from it in order to have soccer, the sort of concessions that we make to to, to have soccer and, and to have the MLS playing. But Brady, to me. It's still just it doesn't quite sit it doesn't quite sit right with me. Are you more in line with Chris or are you more in line with me? Well, notoriously the Colorado Rapids have just been stealing Toronto FC players in the last couple of years, so I can't support anything. No, I'm joking. I mean uh, <laughs> I think honestly it, it's such a tough situation. I mean, it's I don't think this was an easy decision for the league and obviously for, for the staff in Colorado to try to come to a solution and, and be able to make this thing work. I, I don't have the answer to what a perfect scenario was. I do, I do agree. I feel like if I was, if I was a team that was right on the cusp and lost out on, on a technicality and not to compare it, but in some ways, you know, the, the way that the women's Premier League in, in England was settled last year on a points per game basis, again, it, it just doesn't sit right with you if you're a competitive person and, there's a difference between projecting something and, and, and an actual, you know, earning points in an actual game that was played. And, and in that way, it feels like they were done a favor. But like you said, when you look at, you know, Vancouver being behind them in points, despite playing five more games, like, can you really make a strong case for, for them mm-hmm. to be in? And uh, yeah, I mean, it, like you said, they don't have a terrible record, but I, I'm not sure if they've been given an advantage or a disadvantage to have played less games heading into the playoffs. Are they going to be rusty or are they going to be healthy? So I think we'll we'll probably find that out against Minnesota. 
The last thing that I'll say, I think, on ter- in terms of the points per game system, is that both of you guys have talked about how hard it is uh, in order to in order to really know what the what the right decision is. And the one thing that you do have to praise the Rapids for is the fact that in response to outbreak and in in response to uh, COVID nineteen uh, positive results you have to say they made the right decision to play less games. Whether that ended up being consequential to their season or not, clearly they're in the playoffs, so it didn't end up very consequential to their season. But, uh, you know, they didn't get to play as many games as everybody else. You have to say that they made that they made the right decision to remove themselves from remove themselves from competitive play in order to maintain the safety of the players and the staff that are on the pitch. So kudos to them for that at the very least. Um so the last thing that I want to hold you guys to, and, and Brady, I'll come back to you first, because uh, we didn't get to, we didn't really talk a whole heck of a lot about the game itself. Uh, Minnesota or or Colorado, in my opinion, based on form, based on games played, based on uh, the way that seasons ended, these sorts of things. My personal opinion is that Minnesota eke this one out. Yeah, I'll echo that. I'll take I'll take Minnesota as well by the slimmest of margins. I think this is the one matchup in the West where I would have a really difficult time picking a a clear favorite but you know these two teams just played towards the end of the season and minnesota squeaked one out on a late own goal uh i'm not sure we'll see that again but i do like minnesota by the slimmest of margins which means of course considering our prediction record that colorado can enjoy a, a a a nice healthy place in the conference semifinals chris are you with brady and i on this particular topic of discussion or do you have a different way of looking at things yeah uh, i'm putting minnesota through which obviously by default, means that Colorado are definitely going through. Um, uh, I've, no, missed, I've, I've missed talking about our terrible, terrible <laughs> prediction record. And now that we're all back together, I'm immediately reminded of it. So, yeah, Colorado's definitely going through. <laughs> yeah, fuck Colorado fans, thank us later. Uh, no, I think I think uh, at the start of the season, everyone expected Colorado to very much be a, a set-piece team, you know, get crosses in the box, try and win fouls around the edge of the box. And, and that's largely exactly how it's how it's panned out, you know, they've scored the fourth highest number of goals from set pieces this season, yet they've hardly played any games. So you can see exactly where they're getting that, getting the goals from. Is that really feasible? Um, I don't think so. And then you you look at Minnesota and and players like Kevin Molino, Robin Lord, Ethan Finley have had great seasons so far. And I can only see that continuing going into the playoffs. Awesome. Well, moving on to the last two of the Western Conference Finals, uh, the the last Sunday match, or I suppose for for Chris and any other UK viewers, uh, early, early, early Monday morning is the Portland Timbers versus FC Dallas. Now, these are again two teams that you normally see towards the top of uh, of the pack here going into the playoffs, but FC Dallas has had a little bit of a tough time this season. Chris, I know that you you've you've got some sort of latent feelings towards FC Dallas because of a couple of players like your Paxton Pama calls uh, that, that you absolutely love. And, and this just really hasn't been the the season for, for Dallas. They've drawn far too many games uh, considering how, how well they've started most of their games. And, and at the end of the day, Portland, you know, like, like Brady alluded to earlier when, when talking about Kansas city, we've not really had the chance to talk about them outside of the MLS's back tournament, just because they keep doing Portland Timbers things, which, is is winning and winning comfortably and being happy about it. So uh, talk to me about this particular matchup. Do you see a sort of uh, FC Dallas resurgence going into this match? Do you see a couple of these, you know, really hyped, really popular players, uh, you know, 
emerging in a playoff setting and a knockout setting in a positive manner? Or do you think Portland are again going to do Portland things and, and, and walk away winners here? Yeah, I th- I, I, first thing is a hark back to the playoffs last year and SD Dallas were responsible for one of the greatest games I've ever seen when they lost 4-3 to Seattle in what was basically just a drunken bar fight between two teams just hitting each other on the, on the break. <laughs> it, it was great to watch. And you look you look at Dallas's lineup from I know they got beat 3-0 against Minnesota, but you still got players like Mosquera in there, you got Michael Barrios in there. At any given time, they, they can turn it on, and Fafa Pico is always capable of a goal of a goal as well. So they have got the firepower there, but this season has been more based on sort of solid defence and and keeping things tight at the back, which I wouldn't normally sort of associate with a, the Dallas team in my time watching MLS. Um, where that I think might play into the hands where it'll bring this tie a bit closer together is is. Portland Timbers heading into this game with no Sebastian Blanco and no Nias Goda up front. Uh, Ibobis is facing a, a, a race to be, to be back as well. And is Diego Valeri going to be able to carry that attack on his own at 34? Now, he's done a good job of it so far, but coming up against a relatively solid game-to-game Dallas team, that could be that could prove to be a bit of a, a tough test. And I think with Dallas, they're still because the season's been so disrupted again from from coronavirus. They, you know, they were the other team to to miss out down in Orlando at the MLS's back tournament. It, it's taken them a while to really discover what they're going to be this season. So, yeah, it's a tough one to call. And like I say with the players missing for the Timbers, it does level the playing field a little bit. I'll still take them to edge it, but I don't think it's going to be a, a sort of free scoring affair that I would expect it to be had this been. 2019 Dallas against a full strength Portland Timbers. No, that makes sense, and 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 you make a good point in terms of FC Dallas's struggles this season. I, I feel like, despite the fact that they have they have made it into the playoffs and and relatively comfortably so, I think FC Dallas are kind of in the same vein as LA Galaxy in terms of teams who have definitely been affected by coronavirus uh, and and this the sort of rebound back. I mean, LA Galaxy have fallen off of a cliff, and FC Dallas haven't necessarily done that, but it has required them, I think, with missing the MLS's back tournament and and starting the season in kind of an oddball fashion playing you know Nashville twice and then picking up an extra game here and there uh where they could they've kind of showcased that they the identity that they they normally have isn't necessarily there anymore and they've had to come up with you know these these different sorts of ways to to attack this season and it's 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 worked out for them enough it's worked out for them enough to get into the playoffs but you you just you can't really see them coming up against a Portland side, even missing some big name players, and 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 really put really putting up enough of a fight to see themselves walk through the other end. Which, you know, again to reference our predictions means enjoy the semi uh, the the conference semifinals. Um, the last game that we do need to touch on this one isn't until Tuesday. It's probably in in my opinion one of the one of the most highly touted games of the entire playoff series, and that's the Seattle Sounders versus LAFC. LAFC most certainly have not had the season this year that they had last year. And, you know, we can, we can recover all the many reasons why that might be the case. But at the end of the day, Seattle, once again, have showcased Seattle Sounders consistency in terms of getting wins, picking up points where they are struggling in games, not dropping, you know, all the way down to, to losing a match on too many occasions this season. And while LAFC have, they've had their struggles defensively, 
on the same token, they've scored more goals than anybody in the Western Conference. So you'd think going into this match, if they can find a way to shore themselves up at the back, even if it's just temporarily, that they've got the firepower up front to really take this game and and and, and potentially take a, a a strong push into this playoff series. Brady, I'll start with you. Uh, how do you how, how do you view this game? Because th- this is another one that I think can kind of go a lot of different ways. This is either going to go the Seattle Sounders way or LAFC are going to show up and and kind of surprise everybody. Yeah, I agree with you. I think obviously, you know, last year's Supporter Shield winners and and the reigning MLS Cup champions in the first round is not something we necessarily get every year. And I, I think this was probably the most exciting matchup for a neutral. And unfortunately, with some of the news today with regards to COVID cases in LAFC, I'm not I'm not sure this is this is going to be as close of a game as it might have been. And obviously, Diego Rossi is the biggest name who, who just tested positive and, and is looking very likely to probably miss out for this one. And I know that's unfortunate. I think LAFC getting Vela back and, like you said, on their day, probably – the most explosive team in MLS when they're when they when they're on top of it, and I, I don't think without those guys that they're going to be able to get this done. And I, I mean, Vela coming back, maybe he'll prove me wrong. He is last year's MVP after all. But I mean, just the way that Seattle's been able to have success in the playoffs the, the past few seasons, I just I don't see a way where they're able to get it done. You're most certainly right in the sense that Seattle have the history, uh, even whenever they've not had the best season. They definitely have the history in this playoffs. Um, Chris, are, are you in agreement there with Brady? Have Seattle just got too much for? Have Seattle got too much for what LAFC have missing at the moment, or do you see a bit of a resurgence from LAFC causing some problems? Uh, I think. <sighs> With LAFC, it's, it's, I don't want to touch on it too much because it, it seems to apply to a lot of teams in MLS at the moment, whether it's COVID-19, quarantine rules, international duty or injuries. that There just seems to be a lot of players missing at the moment. It's a real shame because this could have been a, a, a really, really entertaining matchup. But you say Rossi looks like he's out. Jose Cifuentes, Diego Palacios. Is Brian Rodriguez going to be back out of quarantine in time? So a lot of question marks over the LAFC squad, but Touching on, on Seattle Sounds, I put a piece out last week for, uh, for WFI, basically looking at the consistency of, of Seattle's squad. You know, you look at three of the front four of veterans of 2016 and 2019, uh, MLS Cup wins, as obviously is his head coach, Brian Schmetzer, I think is in, incredibly underrated. Seven of the 11 that started the last regular season games started MLS Cup last year, and then you rattle off the names, you know, Jordan Morris, Raul Rui Diaz, Nicola Dero, looking further back, Christian Roldan. They're just match winners. They get it done. They have done for years. Even if they don't quite win it, they'll get to a final. They've got this big game experience. And I mean, it was four goals and three assists in the playoffs last year for Raul Rui Diaz. And have a striker like that leading the way who, who loves it in the big games and you can go anywhere. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take the Sounders for this one. Yeah, Chris, I'm glad you mentioned that. I don't I don't want COVID to be the story of this matchup either. And, and I don't want to take away from Seattle as well. Obviously, they've been kind of the story franchise in, in MLS in recent memory. And, you know, they have two out of the five MVP nominees for this season. And, and then they've got a guy in Rui Diaz who has more goals than either of them. So the firepower is there. The experience is there. And, you know, like we said, it, it is unfortunate that we're not going to see perhaps the, the best two 11s on the pitch uh, on next Tuesday. But... I, yeah, I think either way, Seattle would have been slight favorites, but it seems even more inevitable now, unfortunately. Well, and again, I think I think it does. I think it does kind of 
it's weird, I think, because you can you can look at the way that LAFC have built their team w- with with a lot of full internationals and with a lot of foreign players, and you can say that you know obviously when things like this happen, you know you you might run into issues like that. But when when do things like coronavirus happen? When do things like global pandemics happen? So you know it, there are some folks who probably are looking at this LAFC team from the perspective of you know well if we had just built our team differently, maybe we wouldn't be in this position. But on the same token, I mean you look at you look at their performances last season you look at their performances for the majority of this season and it's hard to be upset about so in order to kind of cap off this podcast i want to you know do my usual thing where i drop something on you guys at the very last minute um uh chris i'm going to start with you give me give me your dark horse team of this tournament. Uh, and I also, you know, want to go so far as to, to say, <laughs> despite the fact that we all know we're going to be very wrong, uh, pick the final. If you can count them as a dark horse, then Columbus crew of mine, uh, for, for all the reasons I mentioned before about how, how well they, how good they look stylistically, all the big players are coming into form just at the right time. I think if anyone's going to surprise you, I think it could be them. Completely going back on that, though, I think if I'm looking at who's in the final, I think Seattle Sounders are getting to the final, definitely. Um, and then, I'm not to be boring, but I'm going to say Toronto in the East, and I think Seattle's going to win again. I think it's going to be an exact, exact repeat of 2019. Well, I'm sure that's probably nice to hear from your perspective, Brady. Uh, do you share similar thoughts on the final? And also, let us know who your Dark Tours team is. Yeah, this is terrible, but I was going to say the exact same thing for the final. So that's kind of boring. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's been MLS the last four, three out of four years. So why not? Uh, I'll go with a different dark horse just to mix it up. Uh, I'm going to go NYCFC. I, I like we we said this is a tight matchup. They very well could get bounced in the first round. But with that said, there's just something about the team that I like. They're complete. They've got they've got a decent keeper. They've got a good back line when they're on, and obviously they got a ton of dynamism going forward. So if they can sneak by Orlando, I think everything after that would be would be interesting. And and you know I've seen them I've seen Toronto FC struggle against them. I've seen Philly struggle against them at times as well. So like I said, if they can get out of that first uh, first round matchup, then why not? Well, considering you've put us on the spot, Dylan, then uh, who are you picking to win MLS Cup? Then let's uh, let's ask you the question for once. I. Should have seen that coming, which means I probably shouldn't drop you guys with anything anymore. Um, if I don't know if it's I don't know if it's any more or less boring. I do think Seattle are going to be the Western Conference team in the finals, but honestly, looking at this season, looking at their performances, I I can't see Philadelphia Union not making it into it. And yes, it is a little bit boring picking a first seed and a second seed to make it in. But there is something about Sporting KC that not necessarily has felt vulnerable, but has felt a little bit more black and white in terms of their performances across the season than Seattle. So it's hard to look past, despite the fact that Seattle have less wins with one more game played. It's hard to look past them for for the Western Conference team in the finals. But Philadelphia Union have just been a force to reckon with. They've been great in attack. They've been fantastic in the midfield controlling games. Their defensive unit has been uh, second to none. So to me, it's hard to look past them forcing their way all the way through, especially considering, you know, where things stand. Well, three of the last 17 Supporter Shield winners have won MLS Cup. So I think that also goes down as a dark horse pick as well. Well, and as far as my dark horse pick goes, I'm going to 
I'm going to say Nashville, honestly, and 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 for no other reason other than they, it doesn't seem like they should be match winners, but I do think you're getting their couple of attackers that they build what little attack that they have going on over the course of the season. You, you are getting a, a, a culmination of attackers that are coming, coming into fitness, coming into form right here towards the end of the season. And you, it, it's it, to me, it's very, very difficult to look past that defensive unit and that defensive organization. I don't think that they're going to be anywhere near the final, but I do think that they're going to make it on the other side of the play in series. And it, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if you found them as far as as far across as the conference semifinal or even the conference final. Again, my 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 final teams stay as they are, so I'm I'm, I'm not going to go so far as to say that Nashville might accidentally make their way into uh you know the MLS Cup final, but um I think that they're gonna I think they're gonna surprise some people. I really do. Tennessee bias there from Dylan. <laughs> And yeah, it, it, it does seem a little bit biased, but especially after talking to Ben Wright last week, it just, I think this Nashville team just has, I think they have some accidental potency that we've yet to see thus far. And especially whenever you look at the way that that team is set up and the way that the manager's got them running right now, it's hard to look past them as if they've, if they've accidentally been very good this season, it's hard to see them not accidentally being good in a playoff series. But with that, I think it's about time for us to go ahead and wrap up this podcast. This has been episode 14 of the North American Soccer Show. I'm not going to try and delude any of our listeners, nor Chris or Brady, into thinking that we might you know, somehow magically find some consistency in terms of when we record and how often we're out to you. But we are going to be back as soon as we can. And I know that we're going to have some time to talk about the playoffs at some time soon. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be after the play-in series or after this, you know, the first official round or if we're closer to the MLS Cup final. But we will be back. We will be talking to you about the MLS. Um, and as we move into the off season, I know we've got a lot of we got a lot of stuff planned for you guys. So it's just a matter of getting to it and a matter of finding the time. So again, I've been your host, Dylan Baker joined by Chris Smith and Brady Reed. Chris, I'll start with you. Uh, let us know where you're at on Twitter and as well as what you've got working on for, for the playoffs. Yeah, you can find me at CJ Smith 91. Um, I've already put out a couple of, a couple of previews for Squawker. I've, I've put out a couple of pieces for, uh, for WFI as well, and we'll continue to do so throughout the playoffs and, stocking up on coffee for those Western Conference games. I can totally understand that. And Brady, what have you got going on for the next couple of weeks as well as where can everybody find you on Twitter as usual? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at BradyReed underscore and you know I'm always doing stuff with with Waking the Red, covering Toronto FC, and I've got a, a TFC playoff preview to go up on WFI this week as well. And so hopefully this isn't the last time we do this this calendar year and we'll have some more playoff talk in the near future. Absolutely. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at DLN underscore BKR, probably the most boring Twitter soccer account you can find uh, because all I do is retweet stuff. So uh, again, this has been episode 14 of the North American Soccer Show, and we will see you, fingers crossed, knock on wood, very soon.